and turn to the book of Acts. Well, in our study of Acts, we see that God is working mightily and the church of Jesus Christ is moving forward. I've said it many times, though I do not coin the phrase that when God is at work, Satan does not like God's work to go unchallenged. And such was the case in Acts chapter 12. So if you would, let's kind of take a look. We're going to be in Acts chapter 12, but I want to kind of set it up a little bit by looking at the end of Acts chapter 11, uh, verses 19 through 26 specifically. But we can see one thing that, that is very evident, that God is at work here. And uh, I'd love to see that God, see God at work in these kinds of ways in our midst as well. In Acts chapter 11, beginning of verse 19. It says, Those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, speaking the message to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, Cypriot, a Cyrenian man, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Hellenists, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Then the report about them was heard by the church that was at Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch, and when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then, then he went uh, to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught large numbers the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. It's an amazing thing to consider that despite the difficulty, despite the persecution that was taking place, the, all that did was further promote and, and, and really catapult the gospel into new parts of the world. And so as a, as a persecution got hot, the word of God went out even greater. And so God was at work amidst the struggle, amidst the persecution. And that's the title of the message this morning, The Power of God Amidst Persecution. I've said it many times, we pray for a life of ease, don't we? We pray that things will go great, that uh, sickness would go away, and that, uh, you know, as we travel, that everything would go perfect, that the cars would last, and they'd not break down, and you have no flat tires, and, and uh, we, we pray for a life of ease. But I think what we read in Scripture is that God uses the difficulty, God uses the trial, God uses the difficult situations that none of us would choose to promote His Word, to promote His Gospel, to promote His own glory. And there's no different here in this passage. But before we get in too far into this, let's take a moment and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank You so much for the opportunity to look at Your Word again this morning. Lord, as we have sung to You, we've sung about You, I pray, God, that the reality of your presence might be true in our lives. Lord, that we would, Lord, really understand, as it says in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Lord, help us to realize that we have nothing to fear in living wholeheartedly for you, God. We have nothing to fear when you are on our side. You said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I pray, God, that we might truly understand what it means to have a holy boldness in sharing the faith in these uh, uh, difficult days that we live in, the dark world that we live in. God, I pray that this passage would be an example to us all. 
that we apply it to our daily lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we see this, we see that God is at work amidst the persecution. And as we come into Acts chapter 12, and verses 1 through 5, we see that it's ramping up just a little bit here. It says, About the time King Herod cruel about that time Herod cruelly attacked some who belonged to the church. And he killed James, John's brother, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too. During the days of unleavened bread, after the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. Well, we see that Herod begins to cruelly attack those who belong to the church. And so far, we have not experienced that here in America. We've been blessed. We have the freedom to do so many things we'll talk about in just a moment. But we have not experienced persecution. We may see it one day. It may be in our, not, maybe not necessarily in our days in, on this earth, but maybe in our children's or their children, we will see more persecution. And I'm convinced that as it comes, it will cause us to make a choice. You're either going to stand up for what we know is right and follow the truth, or you're going to cave in. And that chance to, to stand up for God is going to be evident very soon. James, the brother of John, was killed with a sword and most likely beheaded. And uh, we're reminded of what David said back in, in the book of Psalms. Uh, I believe it's chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 4. I want to just read that very quickly. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 says this. Why do the nations rebel and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and His anointed one. Let us tear off their chains and free ourselves from their restraints. But look at verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs and the Lord ridicules them. You see, even in the midst of the persecution, even in the midst of those who would stand up against God, against Christianity, against the gospel, God says, I laugh at them. Because God is ultimately in control. And even though we may see a day when the government says, no, God's word will prevail. How many times throughout history has man tried to destroy the word of God? Has, uh, has man tried to squash the gospel and has been unsuccessful? And we're reminded again in Revelation... Another verse that almost says similar things here in principle. Revelation chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 11 says this. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the, the people slaughtered because of God's word and the testimony they had. Here's persecution at, at its most vile form. They're standing up and, and people are dying. It says, they cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge and avenge our blood from those who live on the earth? So a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of the fellow slaves and their brothers who were going to be killed just as they had been. You see, ultimately, there's going to be persecution. Ultimately, God's people will be uh, slaughtered, maybe to some extent, because of their standing for the truth. But even then, God's in control. And that's one thing that we fail to realize so often in our day-to-day -day living. So many of us fear standing up for what we know is right. Well, Herod begins to cruelly attack those who were part of the church. James, the brother of John, is beheaded. Uh, Peter was arrested and put into prison. 
Uh, he even had four squads of four, four soldiers guarding him at all times. Why? Because eventually he would be handed over to the crowds following the Passover. And I got to think of for a moment, why in the world would he put four squads of four soldiers, 16 men to gather one, or, or to, to gather on one man and to keep an eye on one man while he was in prison, while he's in chains? Well, because God had worked before, hadn't he? Uh, in fact, if you go back to chapter 5 and verse 17, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Acts chapter 5 verse 17 says this, Then the high priest took action, he and all his colleagues, those who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the city jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple complex and tell the people all about this life. I mean, here's a, he's already experienced it once. I mean, Peter got away once. We're going to try to stop that from happening a second time. So we're going to put 16 soldiers on him. And, uh, and then he goes on in verse uh, 38 and 39. He says, And now I tell you, stay away from these men, leave them alone, for if, for if this plan or this works is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. So they were persuaded by him. I mean, you think they got the hint, right? You're going to go against God's man, you're going to pay a price. And uh, leave them alone. I mean, if it's of God, you're not going to overcome them. So uh, Herod is trying to take extra precaution because it pleased the Jews to kill one man. And so after the Passover, we're going to, take, we're going to put Peter there as well and kill him. And we say, well, what does this have to do with us today in our age and in our day of living? I mean, we don't face persecution here in America. Uh, we, don't, we don't necessarily uh, fear going outside our door and standing up for what we know is right, or even perhaps inviting someone to church and talking to them about coming to know the Lord. What, what, what does this old story have to do with us today? It really does have to do a lot with us. In fact, uh, on a couple Sunday nights, I've talked about a ministry called Open Doors. And Open Door does a lot of research about what's taking place in the world as far as persecution is concerned. And they said this, persecution is something that most of us have never faced. However, according to the Pew Research Center, over 75% of the world's population lives in areas where severe religious restrictions, and many of these people are Christians. Also, according to the United States Department of State, Christians in more than 60 countries face persecution from their government or surrounding neighbors simply because of their belief in Jesus Christ. You say, well, this is not a modern thing. Yes, it is. It happens every day around the world, just not in our part of the world. We have had it easy here in America for so many years, right? We've been really blessed to be able to walk out and do whatever we want. According to Open Doors, Christian persecution is uh, any hostility experienced from the world as a result of one's identification as a Christian. From verbal harassment to hostile feelings... Attitudes, actions, Christians in areas with severe religious restrictions pay a heavy price for their faith. Beatings, physical torture, confinement, isolation, rape, severe punishment, imprisonment, slavery, discrimination in education and employment, and even death are just a few examples of the persecution they experience on a daily basis. Even in countries that claim to have religious freedom. Um, just last week, uh, a prayer request for a Chinese pastor who was murdered. Uh, this took place, and uh, forgive me, Oliver, I will butcher the name of this Chinese city, but uh, recently, Pastor Han, a pastor of a church in Chiangabai, China, was brutally murdered by North Korean secret agents. 
Sources reveal that he was hacked to death. This is just last week. The purpose behind the murder was to provide a warning, quote-unquote, to Christians in China who actively assisted the North Korean refugees. In addition to this warning, the Chinese government has warned Chinese and Korean pastors to refrain from involving themselves. This warning has affected American pastors in the area as well. Special prayer is needed for the safety and protection of local Chinese Korean workers, says the Open Door spokesman. Our ministry in North Korea is also being threatened by these developments. However, we believe Jesus' promise that the power of the enemy will not overcome the Church of Christ. We should be wise and courageous to deal with the North Korean ministries in these difficult circumstances. And while coming in the latter half of the world watch list at number 33 most persecuted country, China faces great persecution. However, God is bigger than any trial they face. As you think about this, I want to bring this back in just a moment. But when we in America wake up to an easy life, we have really taken it for granted that we have the freedom to worship. We can worship easily. We can pray openly. We can share our faith freely. But this is not the case for 75% of the world as we know it. In more than 60 countries, they face religious persecution. It's an amazing thing as you look in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but notice what happened here. As he was in prison, prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. And isn't it amazing that this pastor, Pastor Han, as he is being persecuted, as he's being hacked to death, says Pastor Han's church and family has been devastated by the recent events. Yet, even in the midst of their great sorrow, they relentlessly gather day and night to pray and fast. So we need to keep them in your prayers that they are able to peacefully mourn Pastor Han's death and pray that God will provide a new pastor for the church. Pray for protection of other Christians on the Chinese-Korean border and surrounding areas. And lastly, pray for Christians of North Korea. Pray that they will experience the power of God in their daily lives. These guys know what it means to go through persecution. We don't. We have it easy. But here's a few thoughts regarding the story in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Number one, prayer is the greatest weapon amidst persecution. And you can see that as Peter was kept in jail, those that knew him and loved him were back at the church praying for him. <coughs> uh, how do we handle, with, handle circumstances over which we have no control. You know, there's not a one of us in this room that if we were to wake up in the morning and say, man, I just want to experience some persecution this morning. Nobody chooses that kind of a life. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I think this is just a great day to just you know, irritate somebody with the gospel. Um, that's not the way we think. We wouldn't choose it. We wouldn't pick it. We wouldn't, we wouldn't want to go through that kind of a lifestyle where we are walking out of our doors every day, jeopardizing our very life because of the gospel that we so richly hold fast to. But how do we handle those circumstances for which we would not choose? Those circumstances which we feel like we have very little control over. Do we pray? We see that prayer is one of the greatest things we can do. Prayer is the greatest weapon amidst persecution. Uh, in, In fact, in Ephesians... Chapter 3, in verse 20, it says this, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within within us. 
To Him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do we really believe that Jesus Christ, that God, is able to do far more than we ask or imagine? Do we believe that? Because if we really believe that, that would cover and affect a lot of areas of our lives, would it not? Do we really believe that He's able to do far greater than we ask or imagine? So the first thing we realize that about this story is that prayer is the greatest weapon amidst persecution. Number two, amidst persecution, God is at work. I love this. That God is at work amidst the persecution. Look at verses 6 and 7 in our story. On the night before Herod was to bring him out of execution, Peter bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers, while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, Quick, get up! Then chains fell off his wrists. While he is in prison, just like what happened in Acts chapter 5, an angel of the Lord comes and begins the process of freeing him a second time. Think about that. Peter knows what's going to happen. I mean, it's already pleased the Jewish people that they killed one. And as soon as the Passover is, 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 is completed, Peter's going to be brought out and another one is going to be sent before the Jewish crowd to be persecuted. I mean, Herod's thinking, man, I got, I got the crowd right here in my hands. I mean, I've got control. They love me. They think I'm great. I'm, I'm feeding their, uh, you know, their, their fleshly desires and man, everything's great. And then that's when God steps in and says, I have a different set of plans. I'm going to do something else. In fact, uh, amidst the persecution, God is at work. How do I know that? Just back a chapter we read uh, in chapter 11, verses 19 and 20. It says, Those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, speaking the message to no one except the Jews, but there were some going on proclaiming the news about good news about the Lord Jesus. Amidst persecution, the gospel is going out. And God used Stephen's death as a means to catapult the gospel in that area. And now he's using James' death as a means to catapult the gospel where Peter is. We sometimes forget that the difficulty brings glory to God through the result of the difficulty. We forget that sometimes in praying for that life of ease, it's that difficulty that God is going to use to bring glory to himself in promoting the gospel. How many times has someone been sick in the hospital, dying of cancer, but through that cancer, they're witnessing and they have a testimony with the unsaved nurses, doctors, workers that are coming in and out. God can take the worst of circumstances, the circumstances that you and I would never choose, the circumstances that we would never want to deal with, and turn them around for his own glory if we let him. So, God, number three, works in mysterious ways. And we see this in verses 8 through 10. He says, Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals. And he did so. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed, and he did not know that what took place through the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went inside and passed one street, and immediately the angel left him. I mean, think about this, how God is working here. I mean, Peter's already seen God do some pretty miraculous things, right? 
but yet Peter doesn't quite understand that this is for real. He still thinks he's dreaming. Is this a vision? Is this a dream? Is this, you know, is this for real? I mean, uh, he's in there and he doesn't quite understand fully what's going on. But God sends an angel amidst the darkness and loosens Peter's chains. God sent an angel the first time in the darkness as well. But he sends an angel amidst the darkness and loosens Peter's chains. And then the angel, number two, has him wrap a cloak around him for disguise. Can you imagine this, a grown man walking out with a cloak around him so that the guards... And uh, they walk right past the guards through the gate. So Peter's disguised. He's got the, 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 the cloak wrapped around him. And he walks right past uh, the, the, the soldiers that are sleeping beside him. He walks past the first and second gates. And he goes right out into the city. And did you notice something else about the story there? The gate just opened. I mean, it just opened. Isn't it amazing how God works? They didn't have to get the C4 dynamite out. They didn't have to like pry the doors open with a metal rod. The doors just opened. And God begins to work. And then... At the moment that you're really wondering what's going to happen next, the angel says goodbye. Well, wait a minute here. Um, well, hold on a second. Whoa, 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 where'd he go? He's gone. Probably at the moment that you think I need him the most. Now what? I mean, you got me out of here. Now what am I supposed to do? You have to know they're going to be coming looking for me. I mean, what? He's gone. You ever felt there? You ever felt like you were just alone? Where's God? Where? What do I do next? How do I face this? situation. It's those kinds of moments that really teach us what our character really is. Do you continue to do what's right? Well, what does Peter do? Well, we read this in verses 11 through 17. Verse 11 says this, Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. They were expecting to see another death, another persecution. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door in the gateway, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gateway. Now stop just for a moment. Get this in your mind's eye. Peter's just been released because the angel of the Lord came and released him. He's disappeared. Now he's knocking on the door of Mary. And they're in there praying for Peter. And they don't believe that God has just answered their prayers. They're astounded. And Rhoda is so excited about what she's just perceived in her mind as being Peter's voice. She doesn't even let him in. That's crazy. But in the excitement of everything that's taken place, God was at work. And God is answering prayer. <coughs> Look what happens here. Verse 15. You're crazy, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true. Then they said, it's the angel. And Peter, however, kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astounded. And motioning to them with his hands to be silent, he explained to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Report these things to James and the brothers, he said. Then he departed and went to a different place. How did, what does Peter do? Well, he goes to the, those who are praying for him. 
But God has a way of handling those who work against him. God always has a means of working his will in the midst of those who are against him. And we see this in verses 18 and 19. So that daylight there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. And after Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. I mean, Herod is teched. How could this happen? I put 16 guards in, in, you know, in his presence. How, could, how does somebody just disappear in the midst of 16 guards? How does this happen? <coughs> and he begins to question all the guards and interrogate them. You know something, don't you? Why, where is he? Fine. To death with all of you. Orders their death. But here's what you have to know. In verse 23 it says this, At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory of God and became infected with worms and died. God has a way of working through the difficulty. Here's a man who's against him. Here's a man who's trying to thwart his plan. God has a way. But here's what we have to know, that God's work will go on despite the persecution, despite the difficulty. Here's what happened. Once again, verse 23. At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God and became infected with worms and died. But here's what happened. Then God's message, message flourished and multiplied. And after he had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who is called Mark. Here's Herod up in the middle of all of his people, and they, they are looking at him as a god. I mean, he's speaking as a god, not, a, not as a man, but as a, as a god. And, and he's up here just proclaiming himself as being a great one. And God says, <laughs> wait a minute. Uh, no, that's not going to happen. So as he's up there addressing all the people and all the Jewish folks, God says, no, not going to happen. He'll not give his glory to another. In fact, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 42, just for a moment. Isaiah chapter 42. And look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, I am Yahweh. That is my name. And I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. He's very clear about the fact that he's not going to share this with anyone else. And when the people began to chant that he is speaking as a God rather than as a man, God stepped in and says, wait a minute. This can't go on like this. In Isaiah chapter 46, verse 11, just a couple pages over, he says, I call a bird of prey from the east, a man of my purpose from a far country, Yes, I have spoken, so I will also bring it about. I have planned it, I will also do it. What God plans will take place. When God says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. And God's work will go on. So as Herod was taken down and destroyed, the ministry and the work flourished amidst the persecution, as a result of the persecution. Just as Stephen's death catapulted the gospel in his region, 
John's death, or uh, I'm sorry, James' death catapulted the gospel in this region. The persecution catapulted the church of Christ. What kind of persecution takes place? How does this relate to us? Well, once again, I just want to read a couple, couple statistics. Each month around the world, 322 Christians are killed for their faith every month for simply claiming the name of Christ. Every month, 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed. Buildings put on fire, buildings knocked over, buildings destroyed, simply because the gospel is going out every month. Every month, 772 forms of violence are committed against Christians. Beatings, abductions, rapes, arrests, forced marriages, whatever. Every month, 770 plus acts of violence are committed against Christians. We have it easy here. But can I also say this? That if God should allow persecution in our midst, it will have one main effect. It will catapult the gospel. And rather than praying for a life of ease, maybe we should be praying for God to open up doors so that we too can be used of God to send forth the gospel. None of us wants to go through that. Trust me. I don't want to be beat. Anyone else want to be beat? I mean, anybody wake up this morning and say, today's a good day to be beaten? No. We don't like these things. But if God should allow it, the one thing that we can do is trust God. Truly have faith in God that He'll get us through whatever it is that He allows us to go through. I can't imagine being Peter. Paul, for all the persecution he went through these others who gave their life. God may never ask us to give, us, give our lives. But one thing He's asked us to do is live for Him. Remember Romans 12? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you what? Present your bodies a what? A what kind of sacrifice? Living sacrifice. God hasn't asked us to die for Him. Most sacrifices are dead. What God has asked of us is to be a living sacrifice. While we still have life and breath within us, to surrender it to God's use. And we have to know that if He should choose for us to face that persecution, He will use it for His own glory. How many times did Peter <laughs> jailed and he sends in an angel? Prisoned again, on chains on his hands and feet probably. And God sends in another angel. See, God's not going to allow anything to happen to us until it's our time. God wasn't through with Peter yet. And he's not through with us. In conclusion, three things I want you to consider. Number one, sometimes we are fearful of going all in. I mean, what's going to happen if, you know, I mean, what will happen if, if I truly just start sharing my faith? People are going to think I'm really weird. People are going to think I'm strange. I mean, don't they already? Seriously? 
So you share the faith. What can, have, what can change? God, can, God might actually use it to draw someone to himself. So why do we worry about what someone else is going to think about it? If the minor persecution we might face is somebody thinking us to be a little bit odd, that's a minor price to pay to stand up for what we know is truth. So when God gives us an opportunity, are we willing to take a step through it? Are we willing to say, God, use me to promote your own glory? Sometimes we're fearful of going all in because we're not sure of the outcome. Not sure everything to say. Not sure how it's going to turn out. Trust God. He'll work. Number two, sometimes we don't have faith that God is at work. Sometimes we don't believe that God's doing anything. How, when's the last time that we said, God, what, what is it that you're doing and how can I join in what you're doing? Remember the old study, Experiencing God? We're not asking God to do what we want Him to do. We're saying, God, where are you at work and how can I join you? Are we willing to do that? Do we believe that God is able? Do we believe that God is truly all-powerful? That God can open doors that you and I can't? Do we really have faith that God is still in control? We're afraid to go all in. We truly don't believe that God is at work. And sometimes, number three, we just forget how great God is. We forget. In in just the day-to-day living, I mean, we just take it for granted that we're going to go to bed at night, we're going to sleep nice under our covers, we're going to get up in the morning, we're going to get dressed, we're going to go about our day and do our thing, that we, because that's just what we do every day. We just take life for granted that everything's going to be okay. And we forget how great God is, that you only have life and breath because God gave it to you. You only have the ability to reason and think is because God gave you that ability to reason and think. The only reason you have any skills, talents, or the lack thereof is because God made you that way. We forget how great God is. And we take it for granted that we're just going to wake up tomorrow morning and do tomorrow morning again of what we did today. Maybe God should allow some persecution to really make us think about it. It might make, wake some of us up, myself included. But it's an interesting story that shows us several things. That God is huge. That he works through the difficulty. And that he's still in control. I hope we realize that in our everyday living. It's more than just a story. It's there for our learning. He can do so much more than we ask or imagine if we just trust him to do so. I want to see God do some of those things. I think if God tarries, and it sure seems like there's a lot of things going on in end time time thinking, prophecy, that certainly gives me the idea that maybe the Lord's return is imminent. I don't know. But a lot of people make a lot of reasons and 88 reasons why he's going to come in 88, but he didn't come yet. But you have to think that in the midst of all these struggles, that God is up to something. I want to be a part of it. Amen? I want to be a part of what he's doing. And we can learn from this because we learn that God is still in control. Let's pray.